is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And I've just moved my microphone to be a little bit uh, in more in the right place. Now, later on, uh, I have a excellent conversation with the co-founder and CEO of CGLCC. We've referred to them before as the Canadian Gay and Lisbon Chamber of Commerce. They are now mm-hmm. the they are now Canada's 2S LGBTQ plus Chamber of Commerce. And we're joined by Daryl Sherman, uh, the co-founder and CEO for uh, CGLCC mm-hmm. uh, in just a few moments after our first uh, segment of the day. Now, I want to talk to you, Sebastian, uh, among many things, um, about flags. Yes. And yes. Th- there is an interesting discussion that's come up. Does flying a pirate flag okay. make you a pirate? I mean, in the 18th century, probably like if you're in the the uh, Tortuga region or you're off the coast of Halifax and you've got any flag with a skull on. I mean, the, the skull and crossbones was specifically, I think, Calico Jacks. But if you've got any kind of of uh, what's it called a Davy Roger, um, then I'm sure somebody would be like, yeah, it's probably a pirate. We should probably sink them. But I mean, it's not the 18th century uh, or the 17th century. So I would reckon in current year, no. Okay, well, this was a legal discussion that came up at the Iowa Supreme Court. Now, Mm -hmm. I think it's quite interesting because there was a gentleman, um, and let me see if I can find his name, Robert Clark uh, Geeds, 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 something like that. Uh, He was arrested and charged with uh, trespass and essentially hate crime. He went around the community and anyone that had a pride flag in their window, above their door, sort of visible from the street, uh, he wrote them uh, a scathing note using anti-gay slurs, uh, somewhat threatening, mm-hmm. um, and left it at the door of everybody that had a pride flag. Now, what's worth noting here is the difference in the law in Canada. In Canada, first of all, hate crime, it needs to be some other crime. It, you know, as yeah. you know, Sebastian, it needs hate to be. Hate crime is a, a motivation crime. on top of another crime. Like if it's not assault or burglary or mischief, trespass or, or mischief. Trespassing, yeah. yeah. It's got to be an actual crime because you, you can't have a hate crime for just thinking naughty thoughts because thinking thoughts is not a crime. Yeah. I mean, currently. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so in Canada, if if this had happened in the streets of Sudbury, for example, right, uh, that a gentleman had gone and targeted homes, leaving threatening messages uh, for anyone that had a pride flag up, they would have been also charged with much mm-hmm. of the same, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, crimes as this man in Iowa, but in Canada. The victim doesn't have to be a part of the community that is targeted. So, for example, if you drew uh, anti-Semitic symbology on the side of a community center uh, or the side of a house of a Presbyterian man, Mm -hmm. you know, that community center and that Presbyterian man don't need to be 
Jewish for mm -hmm. that impact and that harm to be felt. And here's the important bit by the Jewish community. And right. likewise in yep. Canada, if there's a crime that's evidently targeting the gay community to us, LGBTQ community and uh, the actual victims, the people directly impacted don't need to be that to right. be uh, to, for it to count. Now, technically, Technically, mm -hmm. it's the same in Iowa. No, sorry, it's not the same in Iowa. In Iowa, the victim has to be of a protected group okay. for it to count as a hate crime. And one of the dissenting judges made the point of, well, actually, the guy who is appealing his conviction is like, look, you've charged me with a hate crime. Mm -hmm. Unless you prove everybody that I put this, you know, heinous note on the door of is gay, mm -hmm. then that crime doesn't stand up. Right. And the judge drew the comparison to, you know, waving a pirate flag doesn't necessarily make you a pirate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know which one. What are what are your thoughts on that? In Iowa, you you have to be. In Canada, you don't have yep. to be. It can impact the community as a whole. It's mm -hmm. worth noting the Iowa Supreme Court sided uh, with maintaining the charge, even though they weren't able to prove that every single person connected mm -hmm. um, had uh, was gay. You and I actually used to have a mutual coworker, although you worked with him before I did, and he was Dravidian, meaning he was from the sort of uh, from mainland India, but the same ethnic group as Sri Lanka. And Dravidians have the skin tone of Central Africans, but the facial features of Indians. They're also ethnically a completely separate group from either Africans or Indians. They're just very dark-skinned people from South Asia. And he told me that multiple times living in Canada, people called him the hard R N-word. And he said, like, well, first of all, I'm not. So it's just kind of funny. But he was also like sort of vicariously offended because he's like, I know what they're trying to do. And even though they're wrong, I know that it's meant to be hateful and they're being hateful either way. They're really commenting on his skin color more than anything else. But he was like more baffled than anything. And I think in that case, it would count as a, a hate crime because like just because they're wrong doesn't mean the intent wasn't there. And if they did try to enact violence, that doesn't mean the intent wasn't there. And in the 90s, especially here in Ottawa, there's a, a string of famous cases of to bring it back to the the, the queer angle straight men who were perceived as gay who were gay bashed even though they weren't gay just because they had nice hair and shoes and it doesn't matter that um they were straight fact is that their attackers perceive them as gay and wouldn't have attacked them if they didn't perceive them as gay so there was that motivation there pretty clean cut and I do understand that it can be a slippery slope to to go down the hill of, well, if you're not, but then people think you might be, then, uh, yeah, we're going to call it a hate crime. But I think there are certain cases where it's like, no, this was a clean cut instance of mistaken identity and the person they were trying to attack was the group that they thought they were hating. And I think like there are instances where you're like, yeah, I understand the slippery uh, slope argument, but this is a pretty clean cut case if they were just stupid. They were homophobic, but also stupid. They were racist, but also stupid. They got the group wrong, but there was that stupidity there where they were trying to be homophobic and just failed at it 
by attacking the wrong person, but that intent was there. And I would say that in that case, especially clean cut cases, like some of the ones that were happening in the 90s, uh, I'd be like, yeah, fine. Put the hate crime thing on it. Yeah. I can also understand the the counter argument if you don't want to go around calling everything a hate crime, because then otherwise it could be people could abuse that, you know? You know, they they mm-hmm. it it wasn't just libel. They didn't just say that I was fraudulent. They did that because I am a blank. And it may have just been that they just they were doing poor grade investigation and thought that you doing a tax write-off was fraudulent. Like there's a huge difference between like somebody who's just wrong and someone who is trying to cause harm because you are a what have you. And I think that you do need to be careful, but I think there's also instances where it's like, yeah, we need to be careful, but come on, guy, this one's obvious. And I think this is one of those instances. It's also worth mentioning that um, the whole freedom of speech piece came up. Mm, yeah. You know, that, uh, you know, he has the freedom to express thoroughly hateful, disgusting, mm-hmm. threatening comments. Um, at least he believed so, uh, which is also not true. I actually Your looked freedom... it up. The thing that he put on every note was burn that flag. And on some of the notes, he just added a little bit extra. So mm-hmm. fundamentally, it was burn that flag is what he said, um, which I could imagine if you're not expecting that to be taped to your door, your brain might go to like burn that flag or I will. And you might start getting paranoid about arson and that kind of thing. Uh, even if it was just like a flippant remark, I could see if you don't know who did it, you just find that first thing in the morning when you're on your way to work. That would scare you. So I could see that being. It's a also worth noting that y'all, you know, if you believe that people who have pride flags should burn the flags, keep that to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the right to match up to people's properties and leave threatening notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that does not exist in Canada, uh, and that right does not exist in Iowa, where this took place. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you have a hateful, bigoted opinion, please keep it to yourself uh, and don't leave it on uh, in angry post-it notes uh, on your neighbor's doors. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, I mean, I think it's 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 deplorable, but uh, we will we will carry on from there. Um, I want to move now to Russia. Oh yes. Now, we spoke about the fact that uh, we are now under Russian law, uh, LGBTQ extremists, mm-hmm. as they have changed the law to make the international LGBTQ community. Um, uh, they're now considered extremists. That was followed by a couple of raids on gay bars in Moscow. And mm-hmm. now we're hearing that not even My Little Pony has survived uh, the anti-gay clampdown in mm-hmm. Russia. So all the bronies are... Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it's not the bronies. The bronies are fine. Yeah. The The, the true victims here is the intended audience. Of My Little Pony. It's so weird. This is the the counterpart to everyone saying, like, you know, Cher, Madonna, and Britney Spears are gay. Uh, just because they're popular with the gays doesn't mean that it is gay. And if you were to ban Cher in, in Russia to get at the gays, that just feels weird. Um, it This feels like a misfire. Not that I want to give them advice on how to oppress the gay population properly, but it just it's so weird. It's so bizarre. I know that later on in the series, if I remember correctly, I, I remember hearing that uh, they did have 
um interpersonal relationships between some of the the ponies that would be considered romantic but it was a kid's cartoon so obviously it was zero percent sexual and uh, some of the friendships between the the female characters were a little bit close but i mean that's that's completely different and that's the kind of thing that you could just fix with like subtitles and overdubs like famously they did that with sailor moon and a whole bunch of actually animes when they brought it to canada a whole bunch of like Female characters looking at other female characters saying, oh, she's so pretty. Not even just a gay way. Just like, she's very pretty. I'm jealous of her prettiness. Uh, that was edited out because they they didn't want any kind of in an unintended gay subtext in there. So they just changed the translation. And that's a bit corny, but they did it. And it's not that hard. You're, you're adding subtitles or overdubbing anyway. Just change it what it is. I don't know. The whole thing's weird. It, it, it's a misfire. They could do better. It's not that worth, I want to encourage them to It's worth explaining better, but, what yeah. happened, though. And that is that the uh, Russian movie database, uh, Kinopoisk, okay. um, which is owned by the sort of web portal uh, Yandex, has changed the age rating on My Little Plony Friendship is Magic, yes. uh, the cartoon series. And they've changed the age rating of this to 18 plus. Yes. So now uh, children can't can't watch My Little Pony in Russia. Uh, although an actual reason hasn't been provided, people are speculating that it's simply the rainbow-colored mane and uh, character Rainbow Dash that is behind the pivot to make it 18 plus. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because a rainbow colored My Little Pony just, you know, it is innocuous. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so benign. But it is, I believe, a symptom of that larger culture of fear and yeah. trepidation that exists in Russia. You know, the Russia might change the law, raid a couple of bars. But that sense of silence will creep into the life across yeah. the board. That sense of fear creeps across the right. I think that this is a perfect example of that mm -hmm. cultural symptom of these really uh, archaic laws. And people are just banning rainbows. The, the fact that like everything with a rainbow on it is triggering a homophobe actually bothers me in the same but opposite way as uh, when you hear about like young to us lgbt people saying that everything with the rainbow on it is gay and it's like sometimes a rainbow is just a rainbow you know you look at something you're like well that has nine colors on it not the standard six it's not a gay rainbow calm down it's okay we don't own rainbows and i would say that to both sides of of the the edges on this particular thing just calm down it's just a rainbow it's fine it can happen. Light goes through a drinking glass the wrong way, and then it projects a rainbow on the wall. Doesn't mean your drinking glass is gay. It's just a rainbow. Chill out. Now, speaking with people who are looking to chill out, uh, <laughs> the United States government have issued a string of sanctions against oh. Kara and former ministers and officials in Uganda mm -hmm. who were behind what is now the world's most harsh anti-gay laws. Mm -hmm. Now, these officials that introduced the world's most harsh anti-gay law yep. are outraged that they are being personally targeted by the United States and having sanctions levied against them. They think mm -hmm. that this is fundamentally unfair. Mm -hmm. Killing somebody for being gay... That is what it is. 
mm-hmm. having sanctions against your bank accounts. Uh, now that's that's a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, this follows the decision by uh, the U.S. State Department. They've mm-hmm. added a whole bunch of people onto that list. It follows on, as I was mentioning before, about uh, the World Bank cutting off new loans. You know, the USA is not on its own here. A lot of Western authorities and powers have decided to move away mm-hmm. from pouring money and resources uh, into a state that is determined to, you know, annihilate gay mm-hmm. folks uh, in the country, um, not necessarily a, a country you'd want to do business with. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, I believe there's also an effort right now in Uganda by activists uh, who are brave enough to still be there uh, to challenge the law in the constitutional court. Still early days on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's worth noting that the majority of MPs in the Ugandan parliament did pass the law to begin with, but potentially with this cutting off the cash taps sanctioning those who are directly responsible Mm -hmm. and maybe a constitutional challenge is Mm -hmm. there a way for this law to be rolled back potentially um but i don't know i'm not i'm not holding up a lot of hope for for lgbt folks in uganda at the moment Mm -hmm. i'm sure it will be someday just because every country that's tried anything remotely like this has eventually discovered that it's very expensive and there are diminishing returns the amount of time and effort you have to put well and money you have to put into enforcing this kind of thing is so prohibitively expensive that every country that's tried it has either backed off only applied it for like symbolic cases uh, you know making a, an example out of an individual and then otherwise largely left things alone not that it makes it okay I'm not saying that it that it's fine because they tend to be lazy in their application of it but it's it's not going to last forever just because of that. Just we, we've seen this before. We've seen the song and dance before. And it's also kind of weird how personally they're taking it, because I'm thinking of all the um, U.S. political figures who are banned for life from ever going to Iran, Afghanistan and North Korea for various reasons. I'm sure you can guess who and for why. And their answer is, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they uh, they're kind of mad at us because we did some stuff. So fair enough, you know. And we disagree with each other anyway. I don't think I want to go there. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a very different attitude, I guess. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be playing our first track. Now, you suggested bringing a bit of a hip-hop theme yeah. uh, to today's show. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with Tay Fanny. This is OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a truly incredible artist out of Alberta. Uh, as I mentioned, OK by Tay Fanny. And we will be back just Naked, but not colder than my heart beat. Anyone dance naked in the mirror? Just me? Well, not just me. What I see goes deep. Insert dirty joke here, but I'm trying to stay clean. I lean on the beat for relief when in need of release. Bad energies tempting my generosity, my honesty. But my royalty is my faculty. Kiss the teeth, memories involving teeth. Like before, I am the store you explore when you want more. 
Versatility alone shows a GoPro Vision third eye, that's why I declined Your invite from time, you bite my side Just for my rhymes, but it's okay Mom from Mobe, not my forte I rep Dominica like I'm Dorje Learning lessons of blessings, if they lessen Then it declines my best end I gotta represent West End So my East brethren realize Berta ain't a dead end When I'm ready to blow, yes that's how it goes Left eye, you catch, then I throw It's my own sense of time That's why I'm so sensitive I mean sensitive and repetitive My therapist says I can say that I'm working on it And I'm okay with that, yeah Yeah, I'm okay with that Middle of the journey, I'm okay with that, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that, yeah. I'm here, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm present in today, I'm okay with it. Time in my head is relative to dollars and cents. I know it's there, but does it really exist? It goes here, there, and everywhere, and nowhere at the same time. Yet we need our everyday lives I feel trapped This season ain't got shit on my fall back Don't trip when you see me in all black Don't ask if I'm okay in the moment Cause I really can't handle all of that I know so many wanna take credit for my vision Just cause I don't speak on it Don't mean I missed it In my mind, all of us in millions I can speak for myself but no when That's the difference I'm the whole burger, big bird of beef Funny cause some of y'all only bringing the cheese not even money, I mean corny That undigestible but forgettable hmm. Tasty going down but can't settle though hmm. Buy it in a can or even on the car But community know it's unsellable Things I say alone but right now I'm venting Take it how you want it, not how I meant things Golden child, child of gold, this beat is head nodding Hate is head throbbing After writing this I finally stopped sobbing I'm human and I'm okay with that, yeah yeah, I'm okay with that. Middle of the journey, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm here. I'm okay with that. I'm okay Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm present in today. I'm okay with that. Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. Uh, Sebastian is uh, locked in the toilet, but we'll get back to him later. Uh, I am very excited to have Daniel Sherman, who is uh, the, I believe, the executive director of Canada's 2S LGBTQ uh, plus Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we referenced it in the past as the uh, CGLCC, uh, and uh, yeah, we we are big fans of you folks, and it's always always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Luke. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us back. Excellent. Now, one of the there was a story that uh, bubbled up to the the surface and uh, really caught my attention. And on our show, we talk about, uh, you know, we, we we do deep dives into the Welsh government's official LGBT plan. Uh, we spent a whole hour talking about, uh, you know, Alberta's school board policies and practices once. So we love, we love things that are sort of bureaucratic in nature. And when I saw an announcement uh, from not just yourself, but CAMSC and the IWSCC as well, um, all inclusive supplier, you know, uh, all, um, coalitions uh, about supplier diversity i thought ooh 
Now that's that's a that's a juicy topic to 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 dive in on. Now, when me and Sebastian get excited about supplier diversity, um, I imagine folks driving and around are like they're like that doesn't that like why is that important? <laughs> like this is not this is not you know the 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 most groundbreaking news to to have crossed the desk. You know, it's not a George Santos story, but uh, I think it is incredibly interesting and incredibly valuable. So let's let's tackle the very basics. Why is it important for um, larger businesses, for governments, for businesses of any size to have a diversity in terms of who their suppliers are? And when we're thinking diversity, you know, we're not just talking about you know five percent from company A, five percent from company B. We're talking about companies that are led and run by queer folks, by people living with disabilities, and and so much more. Why is that important? Yeah, and, and first of all, Luke, I will say that not many people get so excited when we talk about supplier diversity. So thank you for being one of those people. Um, you know, this is something that we live and breathe every day, and it is really important for us. Um, and it's important for, for Canada in terms of really embracing the power and the impact that supplier diversity can bring. So supplier diversity really is around diversifying our corporate and public supply chains, making sure that um, the, the organizations, the companies that we're procuring goods and services from are reflective of our broader community. So making sure that we have diversity within those um, within our supply chain. Uh, and so when, again, as you mentioned, when we're talking diversity, we're not just talking to SLGBT, we're talking women-owned business, we're talking people with disabilities, uh, veterans, um, uh, BIPOC. So it's really kind of all levels of diversity. Um, know that diverse businesses are underrepresented in corporate supply uh, and public supply chain. And so that's really our goal here is how do we create a level playing field for all of these diverse businesses? They traditionally and historically have not been invited to the table, if you will. And so that is our goal is to give them an opportunity to create those access, to create that access, to create those opportunities where they can compete just like everybody else. So this is not about preferential treatment. It is not about, um, you know, giving um, uh, uh, special, special treatment. It is very much around creating uh, opportunities where there is equal access, a level playing field, uh, and then they compete just like everybody else. So um, the reason why it's important is, I, I think there's a, there's a few reasons. One is, again, for these diverse communities, they are traditionally and historically marginalized. And so um, this is all about economic empowerment. The more that we can support these marginalized community groups through the power of procurement is helping them increase their tax base. It's helping to create employment. It's helping them to grow their businesses, which then benefits the broader community. Um, so not only their, their own constituency group, but the broader community and the broader Canadian economy. Um, so that is really the goal of what we're doing here. Um, and so this historic moment that you talked about, you know, what we've realized here in Canada, because, you know, at the end of the day, Canada is still relatively small and supplier diversity is, is still relatively new here. Um, we needed to, we need to collaborate very closely with other organizations that have the same focus um, within their own constituency groups. Um, so this year, 
there, there's four different organizations that are coming together to really to promote this and actively support uh, the continued growth of all diverse businesses. Um, so under the banner of Supplier Diversity Alliance Canada, you mentioned CAMSI, which uh, works with uh, uh, Indigenous and minority-owned businesses, uh, IWSCC, which works with peoples with disabilities and veterans, uh, and We Connect International, which uh, supports women-owned businesses. So collectively, we're coming together, we're bringing our diverse businesses together um, and connecting them with corporations and governments that are looking to engage these diverse businesses. Um, so that is, uh, yeah, it's, it's really exciting that we're doing this in June of this uh, uh, 2024 in Montreal. It's the first time that we're going to be doing this, um, and it's going to create some significant impact. I think this reminds me of a, uh, a media convention that happened a, a few years ago, and they were talking about the future of broadcasting, and it was a panel of four white guys called Jeff. Now, just, just for the audience's sakes, that the future of broadcasting for white guys called Jeff. And I think, I think that is possibly one of the best examples I can give of how do you find innovation? How do you find out-of-the-box thinking? And how do you find you know, new creative solutions to build and expand your business? Well, if you're going into the same pool of resources, the same pool of candidates, the same pool of uh, potential business partners, you're going to get much more of the same. Do you find, you know, you've obviously worked with these organizations, at least in terms of the Supplier Diversity Alliance of Canada. Um, do you find that there is, you know, perhaps a bit of a hotbed of innovation with these groups? Is it is it fostering that out-of-the-box thinking that businesses might want to take a really good look at? You're absolutely right. And that's part of the reason why corporations and governments are really are really focused around the importance of including diverse businesses. Um, so there's kind of that that social element that I talked about in terms of like helping to economically empower these marginalized community groups. But there's a there's a business case behind this. You know, corporations realize that if they want to drive innovation, if they want to bring in new ideas, new solutions to problems, they have to look outside of their traditional supplier base. If they keep going to that same company that's run by that Jeff that you talked about, you know, are they gonna get the, 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 the right solutions, the right answers to the problems that they're facing now? Or are they, are they gonna be able to um, create new products that are perhaps, are, where they have a, a much broader consumer base that aren't all perhaps white straight um, individuals. And so that's the that's the advantage for corporations and governments to start looking at this. It's how can we drive innovation? How can we drive um, new ideas, new solutions? Um, and at the same time, how can we help to reduce costs? We know that um, quite often diverse businesses tend to be a little bit smaller, but that also means that they can be a little bit more agile and nimble. Um, so that can help uh, to drive cost savings and reduce um, costs. But we also know that given what we've seen over the last, especially during the pandemic with, um, with supply chain issues, you know, having suppliers, having a, a larger base of, of suppliers that uh, can be more nimble or that are, are perhaps local can help to overcome some of those supply chain issues that we've faced over the last few years. So there's a lot of different reasons that corporations are starting to uh, and actively um, engage with diverse owned businesses. 
You mentioned something coming up in June of 2024. Is that something that businesses who are, you know, maybe interested in kicking the can at diversifying the supply chains, is that something that they might be able to uh, look into? Yeah, absolutely. This is really an opportunity for for any business to to come and learn around um, what are the advantages of a diversifying your supply chain? How do you go about doing that? Um, and just learn best practices from other organizations that are, are doing it well, not only here in Canada, but from around the world. Uh, this is not a, a Canadian concept. It's not a Canadian um, program. This is something that really originated in the US over, uh, over 60 years ago and has spread across the across the globe. And so, you know, for Canada, we've been doing it around 20 years, so still relatively, relatively new. But yeah, absolutely. If 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 there are businesses, uh, individuals that are interested in continuing to advance um, opportunities for diverse owned businesses, the the conference in June is definitely an opportunity where they can uh, they can definitely benefit. So you helped to co-found CGLCC. From when you started to you know not just this point now, but twenty twenty four you know, not to quote Dan Savage here, but has it got better? Has, you know, have things improved? Is the, is the ecosystem uh, maturing as it were? I, you know, at um, short answer is yes, things have definitely improved. Uh, but I think the more that we, you know, the more things improve, the more we want, we want more. Right. Um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think we need to continue to drive and we need to continue to push um, for for greater uh, greater access, greater opportunities, greater equality. Um, so yes, things have definitely improved, but yes, we still have a lot to do. Um, you know, we are, are, one of the things that we work very closely with those other councils that I mentioned earlier is um, on the advocacy side and really working with the federal government to, you know, as they're building out their their social procurement policy really looking at the advantages again of supplier diversity um and and so there's there's a lot of work that still needs to be done on that side um and i think on the corporate side as well again continuing to educate corporations on what you know what we're doing here and the impact that um having diverse businesses within their supply chain can have on them so there's still you know, we've, as I said, you know, we, we've come a long ways, but we still have a lot of work to do. You, you mentioned the federal government there, and I want to I wanna pick up on uh, another example that I'm going to use to sort of pivot the conversation here. The federal government funded Fierte Canada Pride, and for anyone who's had any kind of connection or just read the news about the local pride organizations, um, it's a roller coaster, and in in almost any city, it is a it'll chew you out mm -hmm. and spit you know chew you up and spit you out. Um, organization, there's very little institutional knowledge, very little national standards, and but by funding Fierte Canada Pride, the government was able to help to create a an infrastructure, a shared knowledge base, a a sort of a, um, a backbone for pride organizations across the whole country. And I think that approach, you know, I believe that that approach is is going to be very effective. And we were speaking a bit earlier before the before we jumped onto the uh, the interview about your uh, program that's rolling out 
for organizations, not individuals. So if you're a LGBTQ on, uh, entrepreneur, this is going to be interesting, but not necessarily a, a you know crack open your 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 resume moment. But it's around funding organizations to improve the ecosystem that supports LGBTQ entrepreneurs, creating that that backbone. Why did you decide to take this approach and not just directly funding LGBTQ entrepreneurs directly? I, I think there's there's a couple of reasons. And and you were bang on in your example with um, with pride. We we know that if we want to be able to build a sustainable um, support network for LGBT entrepreneurs, we need to be able to have strong um, organizations that are are sustainable, and, and and that means making sure that they have the proper infrastructure, that they have the the proper um, resources, that they have the the tools that they need to be able to continue to operate, as opposed to just doing a one-off grant to them, so um, or funding them for uh, you know for a specific activity. What the what the goal here? Um, so first of all, I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit of a some backstory here. So part of what the federal government uh, rolled out earlier this year was a twenty five million dollar um, two S LGBTQI plus entrepreneurship program. So this $25 million fund was really split into kind of what we're calling three different pillars. Um, so we have one pillar that's very focused around knowledge and, um, and research. Uh, so we have a second pillar, which is focused around what we're calling the, the scale up. So it's really creating tools and programs to support, directly support the entrepreneurs. So it's not funding the entrepreneurs, but it's giving them tools. It's giving them things like mentorship, access to international markets, um, things like that. And then the third piece is that ecosystem. It's strengthening that ecosystem. So um, rather than, because $25 million and the, the reality is it doesn't go very far over the course of you know three years as a national uh, trying to do something nationally, the decision was made to rather than funding entrepreneurs directly, let's fund those ecosystems, let's fund those organizations that can then better support um, the entrepreneurs on an ongoing basis. And so if we can help to ensure that they are set up for success, that there's some longevity there, that there's some sustainability there, um, that is going to create such so much more impact and greater impact than I think a one-off grant to um, an entrepreneur could provide. Um, and then secondly, in doing this, what we're able to do is really strengthen those, those support systems nationally. So whether you're out in Victoria or whether you're up in Nunavut or in, in um, Halifax, you know, the goal here is to be able to build support networks um, for entrepreneurs wherever they are. Um, and so that's, the, that's really the goal here is how can we provide um, kind of an ongoing resource um, network for, for these entrepreneurs that they can continue to tap into um, for as long as, as long as we can, right? I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, we were talking earlier and what, what really jumped out at me is that idea of 
creating a you know it goes back to that level playing field you know for folks who happen to be in moose jaw or they happen to be in Yellowknife. you know what i mean it's it's the amount of resources available in toronto or vancouver or montreal um certainly dwarf those of the smaller towns and communities across uh, across the country so i think that this is a really interesting initiative and we're syndicated all over the place. And if you're in one of those communities, go and check this out, because I think that this is certainly something uh, that can be used to support LGBTQ or 2S LGBTQ uh, T plus um, entrepreneurs uh, across the country, really. I mean, it really is quite something. Now, you folks have been working directly with businesses for a while, working with with entrepreneurs for a while. You have your gala, which is a, a really key signature event. I think that happened relatively recently. You know, is there's certainly, we talk a lot, we try to avoid um, particularly pessimistic, you know, news, but is your sense of queer business, you know, in 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 the whole broad sense of it, are, are you looking at a glass half full? Are you, you know, in terms of where things go next? Government is likely to change. The future of these big projects are, are you know, obviously up for up for some discussion. But, you know, how how optimistic are you? Yeah, you know, so we, we've been at this for a while. This is our 20th anniversary. Uh, so, you know, we've been we've been fighting the fight for 2SLGBTQI plus businesses for a while now. Um, and listen, I'm I'm still optimistic. Uh, I, as mentioned, I, I'm not delusional. There's still a lot of work to be done. And we've seen, especially over the last year, the, the rise in anti-LGBT and, and anti-trans hatred. You know, I, I think that's the sort of thing that continues to fuel me that, that we, makes me realize that you know our work is not done and and I think the brilliant thing about what we do is that you know we approach things from a business lens and we we try to we work with governments we work with organizations to get them to understand that um, through business we can drive social change um, and so we can make this country more to us LGBTQ inclusive um, through the power of business and so Yes, you're you're absolutely right. You know, we've been working with the Liberal government for a while now, and we've got this great program. Um, but we also know that we can work with the Conservatives, we can work with the NDPs because they all speak that common language of business and economics. Um, and that is for us how we can. That's how we kind of navigate the system to try to create that that better that better world, I guess, and that and drive that social change. And then we worked hand in hand with with other social um organizations and and civil society organizations to you know as they're kind of approaching it from different lenses and different sides and so i think when we all come together that's what excites me and see how we can create this this synergy of all kind of coming in at, at different sides and different angles to create the same ultimate um outcome which is again that um a better place for for all all citizens, but specifically to us LGBTQI+. Well, I think we've only touched on uh, a couple of the things that you do. We, we've, I believe we've interviewed folks there about uh, tourism initiatives and, and 
and so much more. It really is the 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 tip of the iceberg. You know, when we think about business, um, you know, there there, there is a, a lot of different aspects to that. I want to thank you so much. I strongly encourage folks to go to cglcc. Uh, but C is in Charlie, G is in golf. Um, dot ca cglcc dot ca uh, and got you. I believe it's easy enough to navigate. Find the announcements about uh, both the uh, supply diversity uh, initiative as well as the organizational funding for LGBTQ uh, entrepreneurialism. So thank you so much, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure. Luke, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Good speaking with you.
welcome back to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, I believe we we unlocked you from the toilet. I uh, I told everybody that uh, during the interview with the co-founder and CEO of CGLCC, uh, uh-huh. Daryl Sherman, that we had locked you in the toilet. So wow. I'm glad that we've let you out. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, moved on. we had uh, a track just play. It was the second in the selection from yourself. Uh, what was the name of that track? The second track was I Am Rebel Will with Cruise Control. I found I Am Rebel Will. Uh, well, actually, I was just looking up, you know, the latest coming out in, in Canadian music. And I, I found a little sub list for queer musicians. And, and then I just sort of poked through things. And I Am Rebel Will really jumped out at me as that sort of like trip hop R&B blend that I absolutely love. And I really wish society in general would play more of. I love that vibe. That's the kind of music I listen to when I work, actually. So this is, yeah, this is a find. And this is going to be one of those musicians that I don't just showcase. I actually probably will listen to him a little bit more in my own time, too. Excellent. So one of the last stories I have for today is around the UK, the United Kingdom of Great mm-hmm. Britain. And it's been a busy week over there for news uh, this past week. That's um, I believe. Uh, yes. Now, <laughs> we had discussed the ground shaking monumental decision mm-hmm. of the British government. Mm-hmm to use a very like well it was an untested it it had never before been used law that allowed them to veto a law of a devolved government so in uh. britain uh unlike canada so in canada we're a federation there's a clear mm-hmm. division of authority um you know uh, the lighthouses are federal uh, and despite what people will make you think, healthcare is provincial. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, in the UK, it works the other way. All authority rests with Parliament and the monarchy, and then it is devolved via Acts of Parliament to um, the 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 the, the uh, Holyrood in Scotland and uh, oh, okay, the Welsh right. Assembly in Wales, the Northern mm-hmm. Ireland as well. Um, I don't think that there's some devolution to counties and cities, but nowhere near as much. Now, that has meant that Scotland on these areas can make their own laws. And they have done so for many, many, many years, decades now that this law has been in place. And never once has the British government challenged or vetoed any law out of Scotland or Wales Mm -hmm. uh, or Northern Ireland. And uh, they did this time. With the argument being that Scotland's self-identification, gender recognition, which essentially meant that instead of having multiple doctors and a long process um, required for self-identifying as trans, um, that they simplified the process. They followed a model out of, I think, Spain and Norway had a similar model. I think it's more Norway. It might be one of the other Scandinavian countries. but. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, a half dozen countries in Europe that uh, have self-identification. Now, Britain's argument was that this new law in Scotland would have an automatic impact on British law. That by changing 
the law in Scotland because of the permeability of the border. You know, right. you don't get your passports checked at the, the Scottish border. Um, it's going to have an automatic impact on the law in, in the rest of the UK. And that's the the reason that they gave for um, vetoing the law. Now, the big decision this week is that uh, the Supreme Court of Scotland, Superior Court of Scotland, I think it is, uh, has sided with the British government hmm. on this, specifically on that question. Mm -hmm. And it really boiled down to would this law impact the law in the rest of Britain. And they have found, they have found that on that fact, it did. And therefore, the use of the veto mm -hmm. is valid. valid okay. Now, should it have been done? There was no decision on the merits of the, 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 the move by the British government on its, you know, the, there was no decision on why the British government is defeating this law. Mm -hmm. um, but really the government, uh, sorry, the courts zeroed in and they do this and we yeah. love when they do this. They were mm -hmm. like, you ask us four questions, but we're going to answer one half question about procedure and call it a day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's exactly what they've done here. They've, they've really, very narrow they've avoided the whole trans debate identification they ignored all of that mm -hmm. they were like we see your social issue we're going to move it over here to the side out of the way and focus exclusively on that technical question <laughs> of does law of a impact yeah. law b yes or no and they found that it did so well, that that is a major issue. Every time you introduce any law, it could even just be about parking. You need to be careful that you're not going to accidentally create inconsistencies where if you follow this law, you're breaking that law and vice versa, because that can happen. That has happened, especially when you got levels involved, like you have provincial levels and federal level uh, laws that go against each other. And then some court or somebody comes in and basically says, hey, wait a minute. Look at we discovered. We gotta we gotta review this. And usually what happens is they scrap between the two laws that contradict each other, whichever one is newer. They just put that on pause until they figure out how to fix it. Um, but I mean the procedure changes every time. I guess it depends on what level they've discovered the inconsistency at. But you gotta make sure that when you introduce a new law, you don't create accidental problems. So from that perspective, I mean it could be one of those issues of like, we're not against this law, we're against how you did it, or we're against how you phrased it. I don't know how many laws here in Canada have been shot down and everyone's like, well, the government in power is racist or homophobic or sexist or whatever. And then the leader of the party comes out and says, no, that law was just badly phrased. Look at all the inconsistencies mm -hmm. it makes. That can happen. We're like, we're 100% for the spirit of the law. Just the way that it was created is bad and dumb and stupid. And and we we we, we can do better. Uh, very much a cultural shift happening in the UK, around a lot of unease. And uh, um, definitely a knee is coming coming up uh, in the ranks. We'll we'll see um, what happens and how those stories develop. But I believe we have run out of time. Uh, we're going to be playing out with our last song, which I'll actually have you introduce this time. I've been Luke Smith. Uh, we'll be listening to Toxic by Malaliona, uh, another sort of like trip hop, hip hop kind of feel, R and B feel that I I found while looking for new music. Uh, and I've been Sebastian, and thank you for listening. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. 
Glad 